G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This episode, I had an awesome chat with the lovely Amanda Ionardi. She's an OT and an adaptive training and an inclusive trainer, adaptive and inclusive trainer, um, has a background in functional fitness and a real passion for getting people moving and the importance of getting people moving despite any disabilities or barriers that they may come up against. Uh, I will preface that there is some assorted strong language during this episode, so bear that in mind if you happen to be listening uh, where the kids are in earshot. Other than that, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I had a blast, and Amanda Ionati. OT did find me. I fit that mold. Um, so when I was in high school, we had this requirement that you had to do like community service hours to graduate. And so, I mean, it's really hard as a teenager to find places that will accept you. Right. So our guidance counselors would come around like once a week and they'd pass out community resources of places that would take high school volunteers. And, uh, one of the ones that came around was a therapeutic horseback riding place. And I knew not much about this, but this was something like I liked horses. I liked animals. Um, I used to ride as a kid a little bit. And so I was like, yeah, cool. Okay. I'm going to go do this. And, but I'm going to do it for the animals. Like I'm going to go volunteer to like be with the animals. Cause you know, obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, so I went, I went through their training and basically what they did is they trained all their volunteers on everything. And so they trained you to work with animals, but they also trained you to work with people. And I didn't know it at the time, but they provided therapeutic horseback riding lessons. So they taught individuals like adapted riding skills. And then they also did hippotherapy. So they had a PT and or an OT working with clients, promoting therapy, you know, using the movement of the horse. Um, and I, I don't know, I was just going. And so, um, the first day that I went for training, you know, we learned the horse stuff and then they swapped, we switched and we learned like how to be a sidewalker. So how to walk alongside a session. Um, immediately I was like, what is this? How do I do this? Like, this is so damn cool. I'm in. So I remember (laughs) I'm in like, whatever this is, I don't know what it is. Like, I have no clue what this is. Like we're playing games, we're doing shit. Like, I don't know, but I know I love it. Um, so at the end, I went to go talk to the the person. Again, I have no idea who this is. I don't know the difference between anything. Um, I'm 15, 16. I'm like, what is this? It's really cool, right? <laughs> um, and so the woman started talking. She's like, well, we do a couple things here, right? And she explained therapeutic horseback riding. She explained OT and PT and stuff. And she's like, you know, what you were what you were learning how to do was to be part of like an OT, a PT, or a speech session. And so I immediately, I went home. <laughs> And I looked up, like, I already knew about PT. I'd had PT. It was something that I thought about, but I was kind of like, no, not for me. Um, It just seemed a little bit too regimented uh, and not as creative. So I I wasn't feeling that speech therapy was not something I was interested in, but I started to look up occupational therapy. Um, And as soon as I got home and I was researching it, I was like this, every, like literally everything that was coming out was stuff that I was strong at stuff that I enjoyed, like, you know, the biology, the psychology, um, 
all those things put together, like helping people do what they want to do. Like I was sold. So that was how I found it or how it found me <laughs> was through a, a graduation requirement. Um, yeah. As a high school student. So I volunteered there like the rest of my time in high school. And then I applied to OT school when I like, that was, that was it. I was in. And was it a master's program or doctor program? Yeah. So at the time it was a three plus two masters. So three years undergrad plus two years in the the master's program. And then in our second year of the grad program, um, Karen Jacobs (laughs) actually pitched a hybrid model, kind of like online part-time doctorate. And myself and one other student said, this looks like a good idea. And so we continued on. Um, but the cool part with that was it didn't interrupt anything we were doing. So we graduated when we would have, we started working as occupational therapists when we would have, and then did the part-time online. So was there. that, so were you in Boston or were you mm-hmm. doing it remote? Nope. So, um, undergrad and grad school was Boston and then the doctorate was remote. So you are one of Karen's students. I'm one of Karen's. Yep. She'll be very <laughs> excited by that. Yeah, she actually messaged me, you know, of course, as she would on Facebook recently, because I had shared, she had shared something about ergonomics and, you know, the home workspace. And so I shared it out on Facebook and I had a friend from here comment um, with a photo of her on her laptop with her. So she's sitting on the floor with her laptop on her lap and her dog is like under her legs, <laughs> her legs up. <laughs> and she's like, how's this? Is this ergonomic? And Karen freaking commented on the picture and goes, can I use this? Can I have your permission to share this photo? <laughs> I think I did. did she, I think she might've shared it. I'm sure I've seen that photo. It was within the last like 36 hours and she got my yeah. friend's permission. Nuh-uh. I'm sure, sure that it just rings. It sounds it rings really a bell. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, yeah, she'll be very excited by that. If you find it, you'll have to let me know. Cause she said she wanted to put it in a presentation of some sort. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen or something similar anyway. That's awesome. Yeah. So once you graduated, where did you end up? Where did you go first? Where were you, where were you working? What was your field? Um, so I moved, I did my second clinical rotation. So we do the two, right? I did one up at home, which is Rhode Island for me. So up North near Boston still, uh, the second one, I moved down to the DC area and I picked that rotation because the OT did hippotherapy as well. So I was like, all right, let's do full circle. Let me sensing a pattern. <laughs> let me check this out. Right. Um, and this OT was pretty cool. She owned her own private practice clinic and used, um, the movement of horses as part of her model. So I, I, I wanted something that I could have both. Cause I, I knew that hippotherapy required additional training. I didn't know if that was something that I would actually get into right away anyway. Um, so, I, you know, but to have it as a bonus was great. Um, so I ended up down in the DC area doing that. Um, my husband had moved down here for work. So that was why geography wise I ended up down here. Um, and then, yeah, started out. My first job was in private practice in a clinic doing pediatrics. So I worked alongside other OTs, PTs, and speech therapists. I was there for a couple of years. Um, it was a lot, I think being in a medical clinic model. It was really awesome as a new grad. Um, 
because of just the variety of clients that I had. Uh, but it was a hard setting. Mm. I'm someone who put my whole heart into things and I very quickly got burnt out with the every hour on the hour interfacing with families and interfacing with parents. Um, and so once I started to realize that I was like, okay, I think I need a shift. Um, so from there I went school-based and I hadn't looked back. And actually ironically in OT school, I had said, as we were learning a little bit about kind of the educational model and school-based therapy, I literally said out loud, I will never be a school-based therapist ever. Like I don't, I hate handwriting. Like I'm not doing this. <laughs> and here I am now. Um, and my, my goal that is that. Huh? I've heard that from a few people. Seriously. Yeah. But my goal as a school-based therapist is to erase the view that we are, we do stuff with handwriting. Like, no, <laughs> granted. Okay. There's, there's few and far between where, you know, that's, that's a meaningful occupation for someone. And, and I will accept that. Um, but I refuse to let that be like my stamp. And so teachers who have worked with me have now realized this and they're like, Oh, I didn't know OT did, you know, all this. Yeah. That's an issue. They need to. And I'm glad that you are there to educate them on that. Um, yep. I'm moving it forward. Oh my God. Taking them baby steps. That's my whole thing is function, 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 you know? And yeah. So nice. Now, how did, how does CrossFit fit into your life? Yeah, how does CrossFit fit in? So I've always been an athlete. Um, I was a runner primarily uh, since I was like 13. Uh, always a runner. Ran all three seasons throughout high school, indoor track, outdoor track, cross country, you name it. So I was a distance runner. Three seasons. Um, I no running had a season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shows you how far away from running I am. Right. Like, what do you mean seasons? Don't you just go out there and do it? Yeah, um, do that anytime. Yeah, so in the fall, we would have cross country, which is where you run a 5k in the woods. <laughs> that was my favorite. So I think your winters are like more severe than ours. So you can do that any time of year here. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe, I don't know. Maybe we do have seasons for that. I don't know, but I've, I've never heard. Now of I have stuff to look up. I feel like I need to make this list of like <laughs> Australia cross country season. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then indoor track is winter time. Outdoor track is springtime. And, uh, yeah, I was always, always an athlete. So then throughout college dabbled with like other athletics a little bit. I, I was on the crew team for Boston university for the like littlest bit of time. Um, cause I'm five one. And so they needed coxswains. I had no fucking clue what I was doing, so but that's I, the, that's well, the little person that's just at the end and yells at everyone. Yeah. So I did a lot of counting and like reading off of a paper that the head coach would give me and I had no fucking clue. I was going to say, I've always wondered what, the, like I can see what's actually happening, but I'm obviously, I'm like, there's got to be more to it than that. Like, what do they actually do? Yeah. So a lot of times where the eyes, because the, the rowers are facing the other way. Um, so where the eyes, and actually, and I, I never knew this, but there's <laughs> a thing. In the like in the hull of the boat, so you're sitting right yeah. in the in the back of the boat, and there is a string connected to the rudder, and uh, so that's you're like all crammed in there, and you got this little string, and you're, you're doing steering. this to move the little rudder. <laughs> How could you not know this? That sounds like something that would be very important to know when you're doing it. Well, no, as I did it, I, oh, I learned okay. <laughs> that like, as an observer, I never knew that that was part of the job of the coxswain, and so yep, had a microphone, had a little voice box. 
would be given the piece of paper of like the workout of the day. So I would be coaching the rowers through their workout as I know shit about, about it. So I did a lot of YouTubing and it was very stressful. Um, that did not last long. That was not my calling. And, uh, so you're the, you're the captain of the boat. I was the little captain of the boat. Yeah. A lot of like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you know? Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot, learned a lot. It wasn't for me. Um, <laughs> that's a, that, so that's an important lesson for some things. It was, it really was right. Um, we raced and because we're the novice team, we raced in what is called, have you heard of the head of the Charles It is like world renowned, like, okay. It's big in the rowing community as like the race. Okay. But all the novice teams do what's called the foot of the Charles. <laughs> That's original. <laughs> it's like, right. It's like the, the redheaded stepchild kind of like, yeah, okay. We're going to do the, the foot of the Charles. So I was a participant in a division one foot of the Charles race um, for their freshman novice, like boat C, like the lowest of the low when I was there. So the more you add on to that, the lower it sounds. And I don't know oh, anything okay. about rowing. <laughs> nope. Lowest of the low. Uh, yeah, yeah. So rowing didn't work out. So that wasn't for me. Um, I met someone through like a running club. So again, I found my people, did the running club. And I met someone through running club who did CrossFit. And she was like, oh, Amanda, you, you got to go. Like, you're going to love it. You've got to go. And it freaked me out. So I was like, no, I never went. <laughs> uh, right. Which is, yeah. Why, why, so, did it, why did it freak you out? barbells man like I didn't know I don't know I just think so as a teenager as like whatever like an athlete in high school I knew the barbell as what you do for back squats and that's all I knew right and so I think I had this premonition or like whatever of being afraid of what you don't know and so I kind of was like, oh, there's stuff I have to learn before I go do that, right? Like, and, and people have that that concept about it is, oh, I have to get better at whatever before I walk through the doors. And obviously now I know different <laughs> and I try and break down those walls really fast. Um, but I was one of those people, so I get it. So I was like, uh, yeah, thanks for the invite. Maybe next weekend, you know, and, and I just kept like, oh yeah, maybe another time. I got that thing on. I can't I make it. I'm just going to keep running because that's what I'm comfortable with, <laughs> right? So, all right. So then college ended. I was exposed to CrossFit, like, verbally, right? That was, like, my first whatever. Didn't go. Uh, moved from Boston to the D.C. area. Was looking for a community, but I was poor because we were – I was doing my clinical rotation, being paid no- nothing, you know, and whatever. So I'm like, okay, I need to find community. I don't know. Do you all have meetup.com? Was that ever a thing where you are? I don't. I think we might have similar. I don't know if we have that specific. Okay. I know what it so is. Yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. There was this thing called meetup.com. And so it was like where you went to meet friends. To find friends. <laughs> to find like, like hobby friends. And shit like that. Right. Exactly. So I found like a running club through them. So I joined this running club. And then so I was like, okay, cool, cool. But I also wanted to cross train, right? And like typically I'd go to a gym, but like I couldn't pay for a gym. So through this meetup website, I found a local CrossFit gym that had Saturday morning community workouts, right? So like open to the community. You don't need to be a member. You don't need to know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all in. And here I am being <laughs> like, this is going to be a great compliment 
to my running because running is still my top priority. Um, and it's a way to meet, meet people. We're good. And it was right down the street. I could run there because I was under the, the pretense that like, I'm a runner. Running's the hardest thing. CrossFit. I'm going to run to CrossFit and run home. That didn't last long. Uh, uh, <laughs> surprise. So that's how I found it. I started to go to this like uh, this once a week community thing and freaking no one showed up like ever. It was usually me and the owner. So he would erase whatever the community thing was and was like, Haha, okay, we're going to have some fun. So I learned <laughs> shit because I was getting, you know, this free personal training experience. One-on-one and coaching. Knew, yeah, seriously. And he knew I had an athletic background. So he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're going to do whatever the wad was yesterday. Like, we're not doing this. <laughs> so I got my feet wet. I felt more comfortable with it. All right. Um, long story short, joined another gym when we started to like, when I started to get paid for my work and could afford it. Um, that gym closed down looking around for a new place. Turns out our new place was actually owned by that first place that did the community, whatever. So we, we reintegrated into a new community. Um, my husband eventually joined me. I was like, I promise it's not scary. And he's like, I'm going to stick with my boot camp fitness group. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, but he came over He drank the Kool-Aid. Um, so yeah, that's been our community ever since. Somewhere in there, I was asked if I ever considered coaching. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, no. Uh, but I thought on it and I was like, all right, let me learn more. Um, so I got my L1, my level one. And then in our community, you have to go through like an eight week intensive kind of coach shadowing field work experience, essentially. And I swear it was probably one of the hardest things I had ever done. Like, in addition, including OT work, including all that, like it was just really intense. Um, is that four year old one? No, no, just no, no. I already had like, yeah, this was like for the, in that, that in box. this environment. Yeah. Yep. At, at this box. Yeah. Um, but I learned a lot, uh, for sure. Uh, had to quickly get over the whole, like, you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And this is going to be brand fucking new and you're going to, you're going to work through that. Um, yeah. So then I started coaching and, uh, a little while into that, I learned that CrossFit had kind of like accessory classes, right. Or like, um, continuing ed courses basically where they had like specialties that you could get like gymnastics certification, all that stuff. And then, um, I saw they had an adaptive and inclusive fitness and I was like, Whoa, hold up. What is this? This is, this is everything I believe in. Um, so is this offered by like CrossFit, the larger organization that does this or is this completely separate? Some some structural changes, but at the time it was offered by CrossFit as an umbrella, um, just like they had offered some other specialty training courses. And I was like, shit, everybody needs to take this. Like it's incredible. Um, at the time it was being advertised more towards CrossFit coaches. Right. And so I went knowing that it, or assuming that it would be really directed at CrossFit. But when I attended the course, it was a two day, like a weekend, two day seminar. Holy shit. Like these guys, just to like give you a background, everyone who created this course was an adapted athlete themselves or is an adapted themselves um so it's created for and by the community yeah oh my gosh um and they get it so it just so happens that all of the staff at the time were adults with acquired injuries yep um so they weren't born with their injuries or impairments they happened 
either adolescence or through adulthood. Um, so they had that perspective of at once, you know, being an athlete, able body yep. is the term they use to being an adaptive athlete. And so, but what was really interesting is that these guys got it and they understood that in a two day seminar, there was no way they would be able to touch the breadth of adaptation that could and does need to happen across gyms anywhere. Um, and the fact that they acknowledge that and the fact that they acknowledge that they wanted to add more course material regarding like cognitive disabilities, mental health concerns, um, like you name it, they recognize that it, that there are people in the community who are working through those things and who may be accessing gyms. And so to me, that was everything that like, it wasn't just, you know, a Paralympic type thing or a, it, it was fully encompassing. Yep. And so I was like, shit, I got to talk to these people. And <laughs> they talked about, they talked about occupation, like without using our words, basically, like in a very accessible way, in a very, um, in a way that again, at the time their content was, was for like coaches. Um, but I think more and more they've had o occupational therapists, physical therapists, um, adaptive phys ed people kind of starting to take their classes. So they are starting to manipulate their content a little bit. Um, but at the time, and now they're having more adaptive athletes in their classes, take the classes for their own self-knowledge, which yep. is fucking awesome. Um, but at the time it was a newer class and yeah, it was geared more towards like coaches and, and box owners and gym owners and things like that. Some personal training maybe, but like mostly for an inclusive like class environment. And they talked about how you need to be aware of not just what the athlete's goals are coming into your gym, but what their home environment looks like and how they get from point A to point B. And they told the story of someone that they had worked with in a gym who used a wheelchair for mobility. Um, but they did not realize until they asked that when this guy got home, he had to go up two flights of stairs by scooting on his butt. And so using all yeah, of that yeah. tricep and dips. Right. And so by knowing that information as coaches, they're not going to blow out his triceps in a workout because be they know downstairs. It's going to be smoked, right? So for like you or I to go and have a hard workout and be like, oh man, like I'm sore for a couple of days. You yeah. can't fucking do that if your mode of survival to get from your car to your house is, you know, and so when they started to talk about, you need to be asking your athletes, you need to be asking your gym members how they go to the bathroom, how they get to their car, how they get to their apartment, what their apartment or their house or what their setup is like. Basically, idiots. They like want mm. you to ask about idiots. And I was like, I'm in, like, I'm in. I'm so in for this. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was mainly aimed at uh, like coaches, like you said. Do you, f I mean, I think I already know the answer to this, but is this a space OT should be pushing into? Yes. But I'm, I'm a way like out of the box, open-minded OT thinker anyway. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of physical therapists have started to cross into you know, health and fitness and, um, CrossFit gyms for sure. I think there is a niche for OTs if you have an interest area in it. Um, especially with a lot of the adaptive fitness things that are out there. Um, there's a couple pro programs in, in the U S at least that are so occupation based, um, utilizing fitness as like a modality basically. Right. So I know of a couple CrossFit boxes or gyms where it's individuals recovering from cancer who are coming in 
and the class is specific for them and it becomes a community, right? So then you get just all the wonderful things that come along with community and that come along with its groups, it's, it's groups, right? Um, using a meaningful occupation, which for these people happens to be fitness. And then, you know, there's other specialty groups that I know that are out there that are meeting. Um, there's a couple in the United States of like recovering, um, like drug and alcohol type groups. And the only cost is you have to have like X amount of hours sober to come in to this community. And so like, I, I definitely see a little pocket for OT to, to be available. Uh, yeah. I do know one of those gyms. Um, black something. I forgot the name of it. It was owned by Chrissy May Cagney. Who also started deadlifts and donuts. Mm, mm-hmm. It's that person. Yes. Yeah. Yep. She's now sold it though. She sold it to someone yeah. only last month or something. Okay. Yeah. So there's stuff out there and it's, mm. it's super occupation based and um, yeah. Cause that was one of the things in when I would follow her on Instagram mainly cause when she started, it was powerlifting related that's how I yep. sort of kept, got wind of her. But um, she had her own story about addiction, um, mental illness, that kind of thing. And when she started the, the, the gym, like she's got about a thousand businesses. Um, but when she started the gym and I can't remember what it's called, I was going to say black rifle, but that's coffee. Uh, it's black something. I'm sure. I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't yeah. have the name picturing it. Yeah. Um, but it was, I think it's, yeah, it's free for, mm-hmm. uh, recovering addicts. It's her terms. Um, yep. and yeah, I think you're right. I think it's after, you know, however many, like after it's, it's only short, like after the first week. So, cause that's when it sort of starts to get hard kind of thing. And, and she was aiming to build a community of, you know, people in recovery based on what she felt she would have needed if she was going through it again, cause she's been there, done that kind of thing. And that's one thing I've noticed even in how you, have spoken about it so far. It wasn't about, uh, you know, I needed a barbell, I needed all this equipment, blah, blah, blah. It was straight away. I was looking for community. I was, it's all about community. And I think that's, yeah. And it's, it's something that I've observed from the outside as being very strong in CrossFit. Um, it's definitely not the only sport that sort of has that. I know, um, powerlifting has that probably not as strong as crossfit because crossfit's a lot more structured um but i think that's one thing that draws people into any barbell sport in a lot of cases even weightlifting they've got their own sort of community uh, Mm -hmm. going on i wonder what it is about what you think it is about i guess i would say barbell sports or strength sports or those kinds of activities those kinds of occupations that makes them so, I guess, adept at building communities around the activity itself. Yeah, I've reflected on that. And I think, I think there's a lot that goes into it. I think sport in general is an umbrella, right? For a lot of reasons why people get involved in reasons that people find community within sports and, and like athletic events. 
I think specifically with things around barbell or CrossFit, you know, you've got the individual component, but you've also got the group dynamic and there's something too, just about the intensity. And I think whenever you're doing an activity that brings about, like, I think of flow, <laughs> you know, like checks and knee high flow and intensity. And when you're in that, that groove, that moment, um, there's so many endorphin connections and like happy hormones happening and just like a lot going on for your body to release and your brain to release. And I think it kind of opens the door for you maybe to be more accessible to other people around you. Um, a little bit different than maybe a couple other activities that you might come across. I don't know. There's something about the intensity level that I think is, is part of it. And it's all personal and relative intensity. Right. And that's something that I always try to share with people who like, I used to be afraid of it are like, Oh, that's too intense for me across. It's so intense. And it's like, when you really understand the stimulus of intensity and what that really means, it's, it's totally relative. Like, Mm. and I bring it into my schools. Right. And so I try and explain to folks that intensity for you or me is going to feel different than the student who, you know, has severe physical disabilities and, you know, uses a wheelchair, but we want to get him to, to move through a couple sit to stands. And for that student mm. to be able to do sit to stand for one minute, you know, maybe he'll get through two mm. and that's great. And that's his level of intensity. Whereas I'm going to look over here and I'm going to expect this other student in a minute to maybe do 30 sit to stands and that's okay. Right. And so I think, yeah. And to go back, circle back <laughs> intensity, there's something there about um, the group collective around intensity because it feels the same for everyone but it's different for yeah. everybody do you guys use rpe in crossfit uh yeah yeah so that's fairly well it's not hugely common but it's very well known throughout powerlifting anyway and it's essentially what you're describing there it's your your rate of perceived exertion so um mm-hmm. like me squatting something that might be so it's a one to ten scale so might squatting something that might be a nine or an eight exertion could be well it will be a very different weight to say you squatting an eight to ten eight to nine exertion um but we're both at that sort of same level of exertion even if the weights are different like it's it's a very individual but the i guess the effort is is there the intensity is there which is yeah. which is good and that's why i was found like with our powerlifting club is the the moments when the community was strongest was when i think when more when a whole large group of us were all training for the same comp so we we're at that same <laughs> stage of training You're like following each other through yeah yeah whereas i think and i don't know with regards to programming and and that kind of stuff for crossfit but i would think that because everyone usually do your daily wads everyone's doing something similar like all the time Mm. whereas powerlifting if you're different people in the same club might be training for different comps you'll have someone over here doing high volume you'll have someone over here doing heavy singles like everyone's at a different stage if you're doing different comps and i think that that's the one difference I can think of that might sort of, I guess, keep that intensity across the, the team more similar in CrossFit is that everyone's doing, or most people are doing, a very similar thing at the same time yeah. kind of thing. 
I would think so too. It sounds like in your experience, that's a little bit more siloed, right? Like you might have someone doing their own here, doing their own here, and it could be at yeah, high yeah. intensities, but you guys are doing different things and maybe for different reasons. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, in a, in a CrossFit class, everyone's going through, generally speaking, going through and participating in the same activities where the intensity levels or the intensity levels are the same, but maybe the, the actual action or the weight is different, mm. but you're still traveling through that same process together. Yeah. I think like you'll have in parallel, like you'll have one person that's three weeks out from a comp. You'll have another person yeah. that's technically in an off season. Like everyone's at a different stage unless everyone's training for the same comp, which didn't happen too often. Um, yeah. yeah. Everyone ends up in a different stage. And for me, it was, uh, always that way because I was coaching as well so everyone that I was coaching might have been training for one comp but I wasn't I was doing a different comp so that I could actually focus on them on the day kind of thing so whereas yeah right. from what I've seen CrossFit is a little more universal within your the club about the what training you're doing which I think would help uh, foster that that community because everyone at the time at any point in time is going through the same thing mm-hmm. you know that sucks that was awesome whatever it is it's probably fairly consistent across everyone that's doing it at that point in time yeah. and you know that joke too right though of like people who do crossfit that's all they talk about all they talk about is crossfit oh yeah yeah hmm. and so but that's, that's, but not, a, that's not a joke because, <laughs> that's, right like i mean there's truth but the, the real to that or the truth to that is like you just said, so you all go through the same mm-hmm. workout together, right? After it, you're dying, you're lamenting at how hard it was. And then, you know, five minutes after that, when you've recovered, you're like, oh man. And then you're making those further connections with people about, oh, well, this part was really hard for me, but mm-hmm. that part was hard for you. Um, and then there's always that common thread, right? And as humans, I think that we, we cling to that when maybe things get uncomfortable or whatever. And so whenever you're with a group of people and you find that connection, you're like done. This is what we can talk about. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. I, people say it's a joke. I've, I've, I've experienced it enough to know that it's very real. It's a very real phenomenon. Yeah, but that's okay because then you find your people and yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong. I mean, if you get around a bunch of powerlifters, it's the same. But they'll still yeah. they'll still blame CrossFit for doing it. They just won't admit that they do it themselves. Yeah. There's a there's an unspoken rivalry. Uh, between, oh, CrossFit, sure. between CrossFit and powerlifting for a very long time. Each of them thinks their OAF training is better than the other, but it's all, again, it's all relative. It all comes out in the wash. Right. It's changing, though. I don't know if you've kind of kept tabs on CrossFit in general and, like, at headquarters, some of the stuff they're pushing out, but it's very, again, here's my OT lens, population health model. Yeah. Like, that's what they're going for now. Um, and so more and more I'm seeing the connection as to what they're peddling and what I believe in as a, as a human. And then also just as a healthcare provider and there's some good stuff there. Yeah. I think the, I, I think the organization itself grew so fast, so quick. It was like just almost mm-hmm. trying to pander to not pander, but almost trying to keep up with just keeping people interested and keeping things mixed up to the point where it just, almost went like way off the reservation whereas now they're like okay now we've got this big audience let's see what we can actually do with it uh on terms of improving yeah like you said population health which is interesting i think it's a really i'm glad it's happened um i I didn't see it going 
right? Because it kind of started as this intense uh, specialty elite mm. kind of a, a bubble, right? And now totally not super accessible. Let's beat people senseless and see who survives. Yeah. And now it's more coming around to, like you were saying, probably very much within, in line with the, uh, I guess, the beliefs of the adaptive athletes of mm-hmm. let's see how we can actually use this to improve people's lives as opposed to just improving their ability not to cock it in a workout. Yeah, seriously. And so part of the goal there of like that, the adaptive training Academy, they, they used to be under CrossFit's umbrella. Um, but with some of the, the changes that have happened there, their separate entity, which has allowed them to develop their coursework a little bit more specifically and kind of add to it. And so something that they think about is how they are a continuum of care in a way. Um, a lot of the individuals that are instructors in this course or who have founded the course have gone through that process themselves. They've gone through, you know, um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, rehabilitation. And then, you know, you hit, you hit a point where those goals are met and you're discharged into the real world, but you as a human maybe don't feel like you're where you need to be. Right. Or you're missing, you're missing some pieces. And so it's not my story to tell it's their story to tell, but a lot of, a lot of that is where they found this need, right? To it's kind of like a step create down. that. Yes, seriously. And so that's part of their training. That's part of their discussion too, is not only how to work with adaptive athletes, um, but also the importance of your role in the community to create a space where people can go because oftentimes there's places, there's not as many places where people can go to, to get that level of training when they quote unquote graduate, right. From like a, a physiotherapy type program. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then that's been my whole pedaling is like as a PT, as an OT, we all need to know that stuff like this exists so that we can refer out. Um, yeah. And, and just stuff like that. So like there, there's stuff out there that can be a continuum. So at present, uh, the, I guess the adapted athlete sort of programs, uh, are they being run like in conjunction with say the normal classes or is it a separate program at the moment? Depends on the gym. It depends on the community. So the, the whole mindset is adaptive and inclusive, right? So you're going to want to foster an environment. And if you have that knowledge to be able to do so, you, you definitely want to foster that environment that is inclusive. However, I think it's, naturally occurring that sometimes populations will select out and kind of want their own, which, and I think that's kind of how programs have developed is organically when individuals in the community who are adaptive athletes kind of start to create communities within a community. Um, So I do know that there are gyms out there that have quote unquote separate programs. um, And then there are others where, some of their staff are just trained in that and so that they can adapt and be more inclusive to just whoever, you know, so it's, it's universal design too. I keep going back to all these, you know, these terms that we know, but like, seriously, that that's what their goal is, is to have universal design for any gym. What? Cause I guess the equipment list for most CrossFit gyms is fairly basic. Mm-hmm. And I've I've seen one thing that you've posted that I was like, wow, I didn't know that. And that was with the Concept 2 rowers. Yes. How you can essentially disassemble it and set it up for use 
yep. for some by someone in the wheelchair. Yeah. Which I mean, it, it very much, and I don't know whether it was designed that way, but it work seems looks like it works perfectly for that. Um, yes. Is there any like what other equipment have you got? or that you feel might need to be adjusted or is already set up that you can apply this universal design? Yeah. So from what I learned through the course is a lot of the stuff that people have tried themselves, right? Um, Going into spaces that maybe didn't have specialized equipment and, and stuff like that. And so what we learn in the adaptive training course is to use what you've got. And it is so like, I feel like as OTs, God, we do that all the time, right? You just kind of rig up what you have. Um, bands are like a huge adaptable tool, whether it's to, you know, reduce the amount of load. If you kind of use it as like a pull-up band type of variation, or if someone has an upper limb difference and they have some residual limb, you can put the band on their residual limb or they can put the band on their residual limb, I should say, and it helps with like the buoyancy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole bunch of different things. I mean, if you just like look on Instagram, there's a whole bunch of stuff, but one that blows my mind is you were saying the rower in addition to that. Um, so Logan Aldrich is a single arm athlete and he shared with all of us, you know, the wooden ring on the rings, Yep. like the gymnastics rings, you take just the wooden circle and you put it, around the rower handle okay so if, like so I'm then it becomes a is single arm and yeah so then you can grip from this position instead of having to get one hand around the t-shape of the row handle just it it's more comfortable and so my mind was blown when that's i saw awesome. that just taking a piece of equipment that's already there and literally sliding it around so you have a more comfortable grip on the handle yeah that's wicked. I like they really don't. There's no specialty equipment. I mean, they talk about how you know it's all individualized, right? And so some people prefer to have. Um, uh, it's escaping me now, but like when you're like a strap, like deadlifting straps, right? So yep. just stuff that you might have anyway. That that's what I'm thinking of. Um, Such so as using the things you've already got, but maybe using them in, in different ways. Yeah, there are things that have come out now. Uh, something called a mono rope. So, but you can DIY one. And basically, again, if you're a single arm athlete and you're doing the jump rope, it's essentially like, think of a PVC pipe with the ends of the uh, jump rope. Yep. In it, and then you've got one long handle in your center instead of two separate. Yeah. I didn't actually and think so, of that. Yeah. There's stuff like that. That's better already marketed and that exists, but there are ways to hack it <laughs> and to DIY it. Well, yeah. Um, PC, Another one PVC is like a dead- <laughs> Another one is a deadlift strap, which I think uh, Logan actually markets or whatever, but it goes around a shoulder and it connects down to the barbell from the shoulder as a point of contact. Yep. I've, I've, I've seen able-bodied, well, able, previously able-bodied athletes who might have like arm injuries uh, use that. So I've seen people with, you know, who might have a bicep tear or something like that yeah. use, use a very similar thing so they can keep training without you know, aggravating their arm. Yeah. And that's something we talk about too, is like all of these strategies and like accommodations really for one person 
might just be a workaround temporarily. And that doesn't mean they're an adaptive athlete, but that also doesn't mean that you can't use the strategy or idea. Mm. Um, and we talk a lot about the concept behind adapting versus scaling. And I love that and how you can be like a performance level or, you know, in our terms, RX, right. Level athlete with a slightly modified weight or a modified height to something. Um, and those are true adaptations. That doesn't mean you're a scaled athlete. Okay. You can still get that, like, you know, that RX. Um, and I just think that that's a huge mentality around things and, and keeps dignity and yeah. Do they, so in the, in the competitions, if you're doing uh, RX as an adaptive athlete, is it still measured against all the able-bodied athletes in the same way or are they separate categories at a competition level? Yeah, it depends on the competition. Um, I know for like the Open, the CrossFit Open, they have a separate scoring, um, which I'm sure there's all different opinions on that piece. But it, as of right now, it is scored separately. Um, but from box to box, it's not, right? So in your in your hometown, yeah. micro level of it, it's not. Um, but if you go worldwide scale, as of right now, it's it's separate, yeah. So that's, I guess, adding to the inclusivity of it. Uh-huh. I just found a yeah. picture of the uh, the rope thing of, of that guy using it, actually, Logan Aldridge. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, yeah, it looks pretty fancy. I think his is like, it looks like it's got bearings on either end of the stick. And yeah. yeah. It's just a skipping rope with a stick in between instead of the two handles. Which right. again, I never would have probably, I never would have even been able to come up with that as a concept. I don't think that's mm-hmm. awesome. And a I lot th- of these things are just, you know, made out of need, right? Made out of necessity, simplicity out of necessity. But I wonder if, I wonder if the reason I wouldn't have been able to get that out as a concept is because, again, like you said, it wouldn't necessarily have been a necessity for me. Yeah. Whereas a lot of these things and even the adaptive uh, course that you were talking about before is coming from people who are, this is their reality. So it's, it is their necessity. It is what they have to do to be able to participate in, in these activities. I wonder how, if or if it's even possible, how an able-bodied therapist can sort of even get into that mindset. Yeah. without it being, you know, their reality. Like, how is that possible? And how do we do that? I've struggled with that a little bit. I think coming from a sense of like not wanting to step on toes almost, right? Because this is a space that I want to be invited into, but I also want to be like hyper aware of what I bring to the table and what privileges I might come with um, as a person who presents as able-bodied. So yeah, that's a good question. Kind of a culture question too. Yeah, it's because um, I think uh, like looking at a lot of other adaptive equipment that's out there, like just for general life, I think a lot of it, yes, may have come from a need identified by someone uh, who needed an adaption, but I think a lot of it is being designed by companies uh, or therapists that are able-bodied. Yeah. Which and then is, I think we see that in function, right? Like, have you ever gone to use 
an adaptive tool and you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, it's <laughs> like, not quite exactly what you want or exactly how yeah. you feel it should be, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, where these are, are, are organically crafted. Yeah, it's interesting. And it makes me wonder whether, like, I guess looking at a situation from uh, the outside, so looking at uh, an adaptive need from an able-bodied perspective, whether I could come up with a hundred ideas and none of them might be as well as something as simple as, for example, this skipping rope idea. Like that is, that's genius. It's a simple, simple idea. And it looks like it would be so effective. I'm surprised anyone could use it. It's not, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. need to lose a limb to be able to use it. Anyone could try it. Anyone could use it. You could use it with two hands. So I wonder... I wonder if there is a way or whether it's just a matter of we really need to be engaging better with people in that space or a combination of both. Like, are we, I guess I'm trying to think, are we bringing an expertise to this this space that is useful or are we getting, mm. it, are we getting in our own way? That's a good question, yeah. I think from an awareness and advocacy standpoint, I think – Like I've seen my role as I learn that information and then I come back and I share it with other coaches. I share it with other people in our space and where I was coaching, we had like one or two individuals who self-identified as adaptive athletes. And so I could use that expertise to share information with them. And in my, like in my narrative of this one situation, right? So I'm such an isolated piece to this, but in my narrative, my experience, um, I was able to share information and resources with that person mm-hmm. who didn't otherwise know. So I think I was able to bridge that gap for them and then they were able to go out on their own and, and to find what they needed. Um, but yeah, so I think it, I think it depends like any, <laughs> like anything, it depends. Um, but yeah, I think just like knowing that stuff exists like that. Right. So if you do have someone who is trying to figure stuff out. Like maybe I might not have the answer, but at least I, I know of communities who could, right? Or like a, a direction to point you in. I think that's an important thing for all therapists because I see a lot of uh, questions online on different OT groups around, uh, you know, I've got a client who presents as such and such, like what should I do? I'm like, well, you might not have the answer. You might not even be the best person to get an answer. So I I wonder whether, I I don't think it's happening enough in any space, especially in my area of mental health, it's definitely not happening, but whether or not we need to be engaging as therapists into these communities, as opposed to just engaging in our own and sort of recycling the same boring old information that's been going around for 30 years. Well, and I think too, what you're just tapping into is that whole, like the expert model versus, mm. I don't know what the other ones are called, but it, it makes you step down from that kind of expert role. And for some people that can feel really uncomfortable and it can feel unsettling. And if you're confident enough, knowing that like we part of our clinical reasoning and therapeutic use of self and such does fall into this approach of like true collaboration, mm. true client centeredness. Um, but I feel like 
for some, that can be very scary territory to ask someone else, especially to, to go back and ask your client, well, what do you think or what works for you? Right. Cause it, it puts that dynamic differently. Um, I'm all for it, but I, I recognize that it's challenging. And I think that that might be part of the reason why maybe we don't see it as much is because we're expected as the expert, especially if you're in a medical model type situation. I was about to say that's, it's a very westernized medical model uh, situation oh, that most therapists find themselves in. And I, I think because of that, most people, most students come out of their degree feeling like, yeah. Uh, like I don't know enough. I'm not the expert. I don't know enough to be the expert. People are going to be looking to me, you know, for the right. answer. Well, and... Know everything. Exactly. Yeah. Like I don't know everything. Yeah. I can't answer every question when I think it's not just about like, you know, oh, just patience. You'll learn as you go. It's not about that. It's about, well, you don't have to be. Like I, I've worked, I worked in mental health for 10 years. I don't know everything about mental health. I'm not, I, I would never call myself an expert in mental health. I am very good at communicating and working with other people. And that allows me to get very individualized, client-centered outcomes for the people that I work with. But I don't, yes. I don't think I'm an expert in mental health. I don't know everything. I can't answer every question. I can give answers to things that I've experienced, um, people that I've worked with, people that I've spoken to, uh, you know, lived experiences that I've uh, heard or talked to, like even on the podcast, like I've talked to a number of people that have given their lived experience of, you know, different diagnoses or uh, working through different uh, health systems and that kind of thing. Yeah. But again, it, that's that then becomes part of my lived experience, which is where that expertise comes from. It's not an expertise mm -hmm. in mental health. It's just an expertise in my own experience, which is exactly what you want. You are the same. That's what I'm trying to say is you are the same yeah. as the people you work with. And you're trying to tap into their expertise in mm -hmm. their own experience. I love that way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. The more, the more I'm in this field, the more I realize how much – just connection and communication is the foundation, like so much more than I think is ever, I know it's touched upon, right? We learn as part of all these models that that's a piece to it, but I don't necessarily think it's emphasized enough how important it is. And I think like switching into switching away from medical model and switching into school-based, I've really recognized that between you know, who I see as the client, because sometimes it's the whole school mm. is the client. Sometimes it's administration is the client. Sometimes it's the teacher. Sometimes it's a combination of people. Sometimes it's the student and the teacher, you know, and so just recognizing the importance of being visible and available and a communicator. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I 100% agree. And I've said it numerous times on the podcast and to you know, whoever will listen really. If you can't if you can't communicate, you've got nothing. I don't care how good you are at delivering a standardized assessment, and if you can't communicate, you're not going to be very good at that anyway. But if that's your leading skill set is oh, I can deliver these fifteen different assessments, then you are never going to be as effective as someone who doesn't know anything about those assessments but can communicate at an exceptional level. I guarantee it. 
And I think that's hard because that's one of those quote unquote softer skills, right? Yeah. And that it's personal. It gets personal really quickly when it's not a knowledge base, but it's more of a kind of a, yeah, like a softer skill. And that's not to me to say that someone couldn't practice that or improve on that, but I definitely think there's some preconceived notions about being, you know, I'm a good communicator or, oh, I'm just not. And that's just mm. how it is. Um, and it, it can put people in some boxes. And I think, you uh, know, we're always taught to self-reflect as clinicians. And yeah, I think that's a hard, a hard one. And I do wonder whether it does partly come down to, I guess, almost the universal perspective that going to university is about gaining knowledge, as opposed to going to university is about training you to be a, a better person. <laughs> Not just about yeah. a therapist, but yeah. I think it's the. Uh, I think if it was looked more like, say, even the the connotation of say an apprenticeship is learned, mm-hmm. it, it's looked at as you know shadowing and learning on the job, and you are training to be an electrician, a plumber, a builder, etc. Whereas you go to university to get a qualification, you go to university to gain knowledge. When I think if we looked at it, even just on that sort of fundamental level, as I'm going to university to train to be an OT, just that subtle shift. And I know some people are going to go, oh, it's semantics, but unfortunately, (laughs) semantics matter. So, but I think that subtle shift in just the attitude towards training is, you know, all of a sudden you are training to do the job as opposed to I'm going to get all this knowledge and then I'm going to go out there and I'm going to put it to use. I don't know how. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've always been under the impression that like any, for the most part, any like safe and welcomed experience is an experience that is going to impact your ability to be a better clinician, right? So, you know, those classes that you maybe before you found OT or or whatever it was, like I know people that were in my program worked in business for years and years and years, and then they were worried coming into kind of a healthcare model. um, You know, they're entering grad school after 10 or so years in the business field, and they're entering OT school. And I remember there was some feelings of, oh, well, kind of like separate separation of, you know, what can I bring? And I just remember being like, wow, just my lens of it was you bring so much information that I don't have nor will I ever have because you have that lived experience that's so critically different and you're going to have clients that have lived experiences of yours that are so critically different and I bet you're going to connect on a different level than I could because of that lived experience. And I just think all, you know, I don't know, I'm in that belief that as many experiences as possible, just build that foundation, kind of your bag of tricks to pull from, Mm. right? Things to connect. And I think that fits really well with the, I guess, training versus learning analogy in that when you go to university, you're not like we're as a a lecturer, like we are providing you with an occupational therapy lens, but we're not replacing what you've already got. It's just another one. So, you know, if you've got a business background or an athletic background or I don't know, and like an IT background, like whatever your Mm -hmm. background is, we're then just adding an OT lens to that and your combination of those lenses is going to be what makes you as a, an individual clinician. Yeah. No one comes away with, okay, like I used to be a businessman, but now I'm an OT. Like it doesn't, right. it doesn't work like that. We're not just like, all right, take this one out, replace it with this one. It's not the matrix. Yeah. yeah right. 
And then it's wild too, because then we're all practicing. I think about this sometimes that we're all practicing the quote unquote same thing, but it's so individualized because of what we bring as individual therapists. It's crazy. Like, it's just wild. Um, and then because of that, you do have a million and one different interpretations of what we do because everyone has their own little lens um, on top of the lens that we're trained to have. Yeah. And I think that's like something I've been doing recently. Uh, I've been speaking to a lot of people who have essentially taken that, I guess, their pre-OT lens, like their mm-hmm. passion, the thing that they love, and added their OT lens to it and are starting or are working in sort of private practice, turned that into you know a really occupation-based uh, yeah. private practice and they're doing what they love doing. So I recorded an episode the other day with, with Amy who essentially runs a not-for-profit surf therapy yes, um, I know program. Yeah. yeah. So, Out in California. No, no, she's Australian. Oh, all right. Well, there's a couple of folks on our on our end of town who do some some great stuff. But yeah, tell me oh, more. She was telling me that uh, there's an international surf therapy conference in California, so there is quite a few, I think, in uh, like similar programs in yeah. California. But like, but she's like, grown up surfing, yeah. loves surfing. Yeah, has started a practice where she gets to take kids surfing and all the benefits uh, that come along with engaging in that occupation. I've recorded with the the guys from Sense Rugby before, who, you know, um, Jesse is an international rugby player, and now they've incorporated Hi. that and started a. Uh, a private practice that involves getting kids organize, uh, kids into rugby and using the rugby and the training and everything that goes along with that as the therapy. Um, mm-hmm. Spoken with like Laura Figueroa and uh, another one, uh, Brad, who's in Australia, uh, who do their practice outdoors, you know, walking through the forest or the jungle or wherever they are, whatever country they're in, probably not the jungle, but um, out, and, <laughs> out in friend. the outdoors. Yeah, um, one of my recently separated and launched you know a private practice with outdoor ot yeah, yeah. It, it, i love it it's incredible and like in what other spaces can you have that as a profession you know like exactly. i don't know exactly and i think that's where ot i'm really enjoying hearing more and more stories like that because i think these are the people that are really to me they really get what ot actually can offer mm-hmm like I'm not saying that you know other people don't, but maybe they do, and they're just not sort of game enough to give up the certainty of you know say clinical work, but or like I say like government work, hospital work, that kind of thing. But these guys are, to me, on the sort of the cutting edge of this is what OT is. So now after that long rambling, here comes the question. Here we go. How long till you start a CrossFit private practice? <laughs> yeah. So I think the first time you asked me to talk, I was like backpedaling out of it. So I was like, I don't know the answers. I don't know when this is going to happen. Um, but, you know, I'm realizing more and more, I don't need to separate. No. Um, and that to me is the coolest damn realization. So I'm learning that I love being in schools because I'm, in the context of where everything happens. Whereas sometimes with clinic, you do have that separation, right? And so I'm learning (laughs) that I can apply population health models and I can pull in my knowledge of CrossFit and high intensity and functional movement 
and freaking embed it in students' daily lives. And so I think before I thought my answer maybe six months ago, a year ago was, okay, how can I make this a private practice opportunity? Like for sure. But yeah. now my, my lens has shifted and not to say that it won't ever happen. Um, but I really truly see an ability to bring the knowledge around intensity specifically and functional movement and how it impacts daily living, how it impacts um, self-regulation and how it impacts um, a big part of, part of what I do. I'm in like secondary school, so middle and high school and uh, kind of like a pre-vocational type program and um, how much you need physical capacity and endurance. Not, not always, I'm not saying it's everything, but it's a big piece of the types of jobs that our students go into and where are they training? Are they getting that information, right? And so I'm seeing this gap um, and I'm really excited to, to start to really plug in what I know and, and kind of build capacity in others, right? Because in schools, it can't just be me. It, it won't ever take hold. Um, nope. I'm okay being that crazy person that asks everybody to stand while they work and to squat as much as possible. That's fine. But I need to get the buy-in from others for it to even matter, right? Because I can see a kid once a month and it's going to be like, okay, great. You're like the squat lady. Cool. But... <laughs> it's getting that buy-in from others and to like share the research. And there's a lot out there um, about how building those, those physical capacity skills and uh, how it impacts life skills and vocational skills down the line. So that's, that's my new lens is to, to not separate it, but to pull it in. That's awesome. Uh huh. Love it. Love it. Uh, Is there anything else you wanted to cover? (sighs) I mean, I could talk forever about OT, but you know, (laughs) that's a good sign. I like that. Oh man. I'm like, so I just think it's ever changing and so dynamic. And just when I think I've got a hold on it, I totally don't. That's good too. Cause it keeps it interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I think that's it. I don't know. I mean, we can always do another one later if there's something else that comes up. Yeah, that's just the, everybody. We all need to move more. We all need to move more. That's that's what I'll end on. Like, ah, uh, and my heart and head are full of resources about how much we're all moving and how much kids are moving and how much they're not moving. And if you add disability as a factor to that, people are just not getting what their mind and what their body need in terms of movement. And um, I think there's so much we can do as occupational therapists to help support that again, if it's meaningful. Right. And then you get that whole battle of client centeredness because maybe it's not meaningful to someone. And I love that you did that podcast on like the dark side of occupation. Um, Cause what about if being sedentary is truly meaningful to, to somebody and then that that's okay. That's okay. But maybe our role is to educate at that point. Right. So Yeah. <laughs> complicated but it's great it is complicated if it was boring if it was easy everyone would do it man humans we're all just like it's awesome humans are <laughs> humans are great well, i'm glad you <laughs> think that because we don't have much choice uh yeah you know and i'm an optimist so like for sure there's lots to human traits that are not so great but i think as a whole humans humans are great yep <laughs> i'll finish on that one that could be the quote for the episode as a, whole, are- as a whole, humans are great. That's I it. like it. Yep. Where can people find you if they want to check out your your work, your stuff? 
Yeah, I'm still, you know, and I'm still figuring it all out. But um, as a colleague of mine told me, 80% fuck it, send it. So <laughs> I'm pushing more stuff out there. <laughs> Are you going to have to bleep me out now? Uh, it's fine. Um, I'll just put an explicit logo on it. It's fine. Perfect. Perfect. I figured, like, I knew you were the audience that that was okay. So it's good. Uh, yeah, I am on Instagram as promoting underscore strength. Um, and the OT of promoting is capitalized, right? See what I did there? Promoting strength. Um, you can find me on there. It's probably the easiest. You can email me as well. But I say, let's let's give the Instagram a shot. And I'm Amanda Ayanati. You can, you can look me up. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Are you doing this? So the workouts, are you doing them regularly? Or is that just a once-off experiment? See what happens. Oh, a little bit of both. Um, I've done it twice now. I did one as the pilot um, and way more people than I thought kind of poked their head in. And I was like, okay, cool. Like humans need this right now, right? We need that familiarity. We need that connectiveness um, with everything that's going on with COVID-19. And so my personal goal is to push out one per week. And so I'm kind of, for right now, I've been doing it within the community that we've been working out in so whatever is programmed for that day in our gym i'm sharing out but i'm also sharing it to whoever wants to join yep um so i've had colleagues like from school-based practice join us recently i've had colleagues from the farm join me um we had like people from back home up in rhode island randomly like log in and join so yeah i'm just i'm playing with this whole instagram live platform and zoom i'm like learning how to do that yeah i saw that I did see that. Yeah. It was a so cool. Every week maybe it'll get better. But yeah, I'm going to try and push out one workout a week um, and trying to be really inclusive with it too. So even if anyone who wants to join, uh, bring your kids, bring your dog. I'm trying to be adaptive and inclusive regarding giving um, not just standing able body options too. So yeah. yeah. Your dog was the highlight for me. Oh my gosh. Just, I do love just her. Just laying there like I think I was chewing on a bone or something, just in the middle. Yeah. And just yeah. in the middle. Just no cares. She'll, like, like, she'll stress too. So she'll like if we're not paying attention to her, she'll like go get her antler and like gnaw on it out of like, <laughs> I don't know. Like look at me, look at me, you know. Yeah. But there were a couple of times in the beginning and she loves and this I don't know if your dog does this, but she loves sweat. So like as I started to to work out yeah. she's like look at my leg and then i go to do sit-ups and she's like in my armpit and i'm like okay great here we are on instagram live like a true snapshot <laughs> into our lives now but you know what again this i love human yeah we all are doing weird shit right now we're all in our living rooms like trying to navigate working and living and working out and dogs and partners and kids like whatever yeah it's all there it's all there i said to someone recently one of my one of my private clients um she had sent me like a video of her daughter. And so I did a video response back and like, I would never do something like that. Right. And so I think I said in my email, I think a lot of this is breaking down the barriers to what is professional and what is human connection and just letting go of some of that shield that we, we, for some reason, like feel like we need to have as professionals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah just letting go and like, yep, this is me in my living room. My dog is licking my armpit. Like we're all, we're all in it. I don't know. And now great. This is going to be saved for some podcasts for all to find and listen to. That's right. I'll I'll edit that little bit out. (laughs) 